All right, today we start a brand new series, something I haven't done in a long, long time. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. If you are a soldier or a retired soldier, you know about warfare. Warfare is a very ugly business. It's a very difficult business. We're looking at the 4th of July tomorrow. We remember those who stepped up at Lexington and Concord. We look at those who stepped up and said, we need a separate country, an independent country, a new country where we can worship God in freedom and not be oppressed by the countries that we come from. You know, war is a very ugly term. War is a very disgusting word. It's very bad business. And we see right now the world is racked with war. But you know what? It's not just in the world scene that we have war. It's not just between nations that we see war. There is war in our own country, in our own hearts, in our own families. Now, you know, most people genuinely do not seek out conflict. Okay, you've got some people on Saturday night after the proper ingestion of the wrong materials who seem to want to get into a scrap, who seem to want to get into a fight. And I feel sorry for them because the next day, huh, they're sure going to pay for it. But most of us do not want conflict. We don't want fights. What do we want? We want peace. We want safety, security, comfort. But you know what? There's a tough reality out there, church. The tough reality is that we have an enemy. And it's not that person at work. It's not that person at school. We have an enemy that's not another nation or the, or the leader of another nation. We have an enemy called Satan. And Satan is bound and determined to make sure that our lives as Christians do not amount to a hill of beans. And that is the truth. We have an enemy. There is a reality of spiritual warfare. The reality is you have someone who is dead set against you, against you prospering, against you being happy, against you having the life you've always dreamed about. Having served in a lot of states, having served in a lot of churches and in a few countries, I can tell you this, spiritual warfare is real, it is going on every day, and it's going on in your life whether you know it or not. The whole point of this next series of sermons is to wake you up to the reality of spiritual warfare and to help you choose to get into the fight. You see, if you have chosen to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have an enemy who is bound and determined to destroy you, to destroy your witness, your peace, your safety, and your security. If you are going to be a soldier for Jesus Christ, there are three questions you must answer right now, today, and walk out of this building with the assurance of having the right information. We are going to be in the book of Ephesians today. So open up your Bibles, find the book of Ephesians. We're going to look for these three questions in chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 6. If you are going to be a soldier for Jesus Christ, you have to answer one question above all things. Who is my enemy? That should be written down somewhere in your plan for success. Who is my enemy? Sometimes you think your enemy is the person next to you. You think your enemy is your spouse. You think your enemy is that person at work. Your enemy is that person at school who is bound and determined to give you a hard time. 
You might think your enemy is a member of your own family and that they're turning against you or doing things to deflate you. Let me be certain to say this. In every marriage, in every family situation, the enemy is not the people in your family. It is Satan. Look at it right here. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. The word devil means adversary, enemy. You are the enemy of Satan because you are beloved by God. Because God has set his love on you, the devil hates you. He hates your position. He hates your relationship to your father in heaven because he once had that relationship and he lost it because of his pride, his hubris. He lost everything he had when he turned against the God of all creation and set himself on the course of destruction he's on right now. Verse 12, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, not your wife, not your husband, not your children, not the members of your family, not those people at work. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. There's a war going on around you, church. You just don't see it. You think of war as happening somewhere over there, some other country, some other nation, some other place where people are in conflict. But look at America. Look at all of the shootings and the killings and the murder. Men murdering the, the mothers of their children simply because they're angry at them. And then they kill their children. Where does something like that come from? You are looking at it. There is an enemy who whispers in the darkness to those people who are not protected by Jesus Christ, and he whispers words of self-destruction. You might ask me, Pastor, how do you know about this? Ask my wife and daughter about our lives in ministry. Ask about the people that we have met who were spiritually, demonically infected. Ask about the places we have been where witchcraft is not a thing in a book. It's a thing that happens right down the street. Ask about the people that we have met who are committed to alternative religious functions who make them your enemy simply because they cannot agree with your relationship to God. If you want to see where it all begins, go to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3. Where does this battle come from? Where does this battle start? It started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. You know exactly what I'm going to say. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. The word cunning is the word shrewd. Now, people who are shrewd know how to take the truth and bend it. People who are shrewd know how to tell you a half-truth and make it seem like a whole truth. Shrewd people tell you what they want you to know to get you to do what they want you to do. This serpent that was in the garden was shrewd, a master of language, a master manipulator. Actually, the word that is here in the Hebrew is very close to the word liar. So the word for serpent is very close to the word liar. 
because they are connected together. This serpent was a shrewd creature created by God in the garden. Why he put him there, we don't know. But there was a shrewdness about this creature that allowed Satan to come in, take over, and use its shrewdness for his own purposes. If you do not believe in demonic possession, come talk to me. I'll show you what it looks like. It looks nothing like what you see in the TV shows. Demonic possession looks nothing like what you see in movies. It's actually much more evil, much more sinister, and much more terrifying. To see a human being under the control of a demonic spirit is the ugliest thing you will ever see in your life. So this serpent, this cunning, shrewd, wild animal allowed Satan into its head to use it to destroy the man and the woman. Now, notice what he says. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God says you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Horrible mistake. God said, don't eat it. He never said, don't touch it. You see, what happened is Eve embellished just a little bit. The idea was there, but not the words. And you see, if you don't know the word exactly, it's easy for you to misunderstand sometimes exactly what's being said. God says a lot of things precisely, exactly the way he wants you to understand it. But if you don't understand it, if you read it carelessly, or quickly, you may misunderstand it. So she did. She said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Here's the second thing Satan does. No, you will not die. We should put the word immediately in there because Satan knew what was going to happen. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, here we go. Let's reinterpret the word of God. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He didn't say you would be a God. There are churches in America today that preach men can become gods. All they have to do is subdue their wives and make them obey. You think I'm kidding. These people believe that only men can be gods. And the fate of a woman who's married to such a man is to be eternally pregnant and pumping out little spirit babies for the rest of eternity. Does not sound like a great deal to me if you're a woman. Why you would go that way, I don't know, but there it is. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God in the capacity of knowing good and evil. The word knowing is experiencing. Experiencing good and evil. God never experienced evil. God is perfectly righteous at all things. He keeps evil away from him. So Satan is twisting those words again. He's shifting them. He's cunning. He's shrewd. Moves it just a little bit. It says, now then the woman saw that the tree was what? Good for food. Okay, so it, it smelled good. It looked like it was going to be tasty. It was delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Here's the problem. Satan made it seem like sin gave you some kind of special insight or that disobeying God became some sort of special avenue to knowledge. 
thousands of years later, you have people like the Gnostics still going this route, still wanting to believe that you can know hidden things through our experiences. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Never blame the woman for the fall of man because man was standing right there. God spoke specifically to Adam, don't do this. She reaches up, grabs it, looks at it, she eats it. Here, baby, try some. And Adam's thinking in his head being smart. Oh, she didn't drop dead. Maybe I misunderstood. Here, give me some of that. See, later it says that the woman was deceived, but the man chose to sin. The woman was led astray by Satan's cunning language. But the man saw and knew and acted. And that's why he's so guilty. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. The word naked there doesn't just mean physically. It means that their intentions were exposed. It meant that they could see what they had done. They had, they had experienced sin and now they knew regret and remorse. So they were naked. They were exposed to God for what they had done. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Do you see how the enemy works? Pay attention, church. This is how Satan gets you. One, he questions God's word. Did God really say that? Or did the pastor tell you he said that? Because, you know, the pastor can make mistakes. The pastor is probably old. He doesn't know what's happening in the world. I know what you're thinking. I, I, no, I ain't that old. So he says to this, did God really say? Then he says, okay, well, no, that's really not what God said. He said something else. And then finally, he takes and reinterprets God's word to give permission for sin. See, he makes him see the benefit of sin. That somehow sin or disobedience is beneficial to you. It's somehow going to help you. It's somehow going to make you better. If you think this is isolated to Adam and Eve, this particular sin persists into the 21st century. We still have people today saying, I have to experience it to know it, to believe it. If I don't see it and touch it, it's not real. That mentality is still out there. You have to know who your enemy is. Your enemy is not this person you're fighting with. It's not your spouse. Your enemy is not a physical human being. You are embattled with someone who is behind them. Just like Satan could use the serpent, Satan can use people to tear you down, to break you up, to weaken your faith. There are people in your own family who can come at you and go, you know what? It's great that you believe in God. Just don't let it interfere with your life. Don't let it stop you from having fun. What? What do you mean you can't do this and this? No, go ahead and do it. You'll be fine. I look at these kids who are dying during these hazing episodes at different fraternities and sororities. Their parents always say the same thing. My child knew not to do that. Well, then why'd they do it? Because a voice came and said, oh, it's okay to do this. It's okay because of this. And, you know, your parents don't really understand anyways. That mentality has been around for a very long time. So this is the first question you have to answer. Who is your enemy? Not the person you're fighting with. The person who is behind, 
who is fueling the fire. Second thing I want you to see is this. What are my weapons? No soldier goes into combat without doing a full checklist of what he has. You know, you have to have all the stuff that you have to have to survive in a combat situation. Unless, of course, you're a Spartan, then all you needed were your shoes, your loincloth, and your giant sword and, and your, and your uh, spear. If you had that, you were good to go, right? Just march off into battle. We've seen all the movies. We know how it works. So what are your weapons, church? How are you equipped? Ephesians 6.13. This is why you must take up the full armor of God. That means there's more than one piece. You must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. The evil day is the day you're tempted. The day when Satan comes against you and says, you can't do this. You're not good enough. You don't know enough. You're not smart enough. You're not capable. You're too old. You're too young. This is the evil day when Satan will try to do to you what he did to Eve. It says this, and having prepared everything to take your stand. When Satan comes against you, stand. You know, that's why it says in James that the devil's like a lion roaring, looking for someone to devour. Do you know why lions roar? This is interesting. I had to watch a little film on this. Lions roar to find out who to eat. Did you know that? The lion roars and dinner runs. If the dinner runs, there you go. That's what you eat. If it stands its ground, if it doesn't move, maybe it's not something to eat. I've got a friend of mine named Jacob, and Jacob lives in Montana, and he went out and he was working in the ranch, and he did the one thing you never do on a ranch. He went to the stream, he put his face in the stream. Don't ever do that. He put his face in the stream, and when he stood up, there was a black bear in front of him on the other side of the stream, like right there. It could have reached out a paw and taken his head off. So what did Jacob do? Jacob's about 6'2", maybe 6'3". He stood up, threw his shoulders back, and kind of growled at it. Made himself look bigger than he was. Made himself look like a, well, skinny little bear. But anyways, so the bear looked at him. He wasn't running. He was kind of growling. So the bear walked off. And then Jacob probably fainted because he thought he was going to die. There was no reason for that bear not to eat him. He's only a person. But he perceived him to be bigger than he was because he wasn't running. You stand and don't let Satan mess with your head. He will leave you. He will run away. Stand, therefore, with the truth like a belt around your waist. What truth? The word of God. It says this. Righteousness like armor on your chest. Your righteousness is not yours. It is the one that Christ gives you. Satan can't pierce the righteousness of Christ. Your skin, your flesh and blood, yes. Christ's righteousness, no. You can claim that righteousness. I don't have the authority, but Christ has the authority. By the way, if you ever have to do an exorcism, oh, let me tell you, there's no prayers, no beads, no candles will help you in that situation but claiming the blood of Christ, his righteousness. That is how you beat a demon. You stand not on your own power, not on your own authority, but on the authority of Christ, because the demon can't even come up against that. He says this, So righteousness like an armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. You have to know the word of God. You have to know the word of God, because people will throw a false gospel at you. Remember what Satan did in the garden? Did God really say, 
There's a lot of people that will go to church, then go to school and say, well, we can't do that because, and someone says, really? Is that really what God says? See, then you start thinking, well, wait, is that what God says? Did I sleep through that sermon? Where was I? See, you start second guessing yourself because someone's questioning God's word. But if you're ready with it, if you know it, Satan can't lie to you. And you know, no, that's exactly what God's word says. That's what BBS is all about. Being equipped to stand in that day. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What flaming arrows? Those are all the lies they throw at you. You're old. You're useless. You're ignorant. You don't matter anymore. No one's listening to you. You know how I know those lies? I hear them all the time. You're too young. You're not smart enough. You don't know enough. You can't speak out in this situation. You'll lose all your friends. No, you won't. The flaming darts that Satan throws are the lies to defeat you, to silence you, to keep you from being effective in the cause of the gospel. That's what it is. And with it, you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows. Believe me, flaming arrows hurt when they hit you, by the way. That's why you have that shield of faith to extinguish them before they get to you. Take the helmet of salvation. This protects your mind from the lies of Satan. And the sword of the spirit. This is the only offensive weapon you get, church. Everything so far is protective. Okay, it protects you. The sword of the spirit is to defeat Satan. When Satan would lie to Jesus, Jesus said, Hey, the word of God says, Hey, the word of God says, he never answered on his own. He always referred to the word of God because there's the power of the Christian in the word, in the truth. And with it, he said, and the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. So that tells you the importance of that Bible. Remember, until 1535 in England, there was no Bible in English. None until 1535. And then King Henry VIII, for all of his faults, allowed the Bible to be published and placed into churches. People were so desperate to grab the Bible, they had to literally chain the Bibles to the pillar of the church because people would take it home to read it. See, the, 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 uh, the Bibles themselves were giant oak panels, and they formed the covers of the Bible, oak and then they put the chain through the oak so they couldn't steal the Bibles because people were so desperate to read it. That's why in 1611, you have the publication of the King James Bible. And that was the one that could be released into people's hands, given to people so they could read it again and again and again and know the truth. So aren't you blessed? You've got the word of God in your hands, which only a few hundred years ago, people didn't even have access to. So, who is your enemy? Satan, not the person you're fighting with. What are my weapons? Everything you need to protect your life, your mind, your heart, your feelings, your emotions, and the sword of the Spirit to fight Satan with. Last one, I want you to, last question you have to ask yourself. What are my orders? No soldier goes into combat without clear, specific orders. And I served in a military church. I know those guys. They knew exactly what they were supposed to do before they put boot to dirt. They knew what they had to do. So what is your, what is your orders? Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times. There's no time when you shouldn't be praying. 
praying for wisdom, praying for insight, praying for an opportunity. Pray in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert. You don't know when you're going to get attacked. I talked to a guy who served in Vietnam. He said we would walk down these paths and you would think you were okay. And we would come to a cross path and there was another path cut this way, cut like an X. And basically, as soon as you stepped in, you were in a kill zone. You're walking through, you're walking through, you're fine. You step into a kill zone and someone starts shooting at you. You don't know when you're going to be under attack. You don't know who's going to attack you. You don't know what words they're going to say, what lies they're going to say. You don't know how that attack is going to look. So you have to be ready at all times to defend yourself with the word of God. It says this, and, in, and this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Always be in prayer for those around you. I ask you to pray for VBS. I'm serious. Pray for us. We need help. We need to be strong. We need to be mentally alert. We need to be sensitive to what these kids are going through. We need to know what to say to touch their lives, to strengthen them in Jesus Christ. It says this, pray also for me, this is Paul writing, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. We don't always know what to say when a situation comes up. In fact, they were told the Christians in the first century, don't worry about what you're going to say. What you're going to say will be given to you in that moment by the Holy Spirit. There's a reason the Spirit indwells you. When you don't know what to say, suddenly you know what to say. Suddenly you know how to answer that question. Suddenly you know how to confront that truth. And it's very important. So he says, I need to have boldness as I proclaim the gospel, and I need to know what to say at the right time. For this, I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. See, so maybe even Paul got tired. Paul got worn down. Paul was maybe fearful at times when you're in prison and you have guards looking at you and you have other prisoners who have evil intentions. Remember, Paul almost got killed a couple times. He almost died in that shipwreck. He had a rough life, people. He had a rough life. As soon as he accepted Christ, everything went to heck in a handbasket for him. It got rough. But he says, pray that I might be bold enough to keep speaking. And he would need that boldness as he went to the prison in Rome, waiting to see the emperor, knowing that he was going to die in that prison. He was not going to come out. He knew it. But he wanted to be bold to the last minute, to the last chance. Where do we learn about this kind of prayer? I'll tell you where we get it from. Daniel chapter 9. Weird place to go. Book of Daniel chapter 9 verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel, and presenting my pleas before Yahweh my God for the holy hill and for my God, that's when his prayer was answered. Remember, he'd been praying for like 21 days or 28 days, one of those. He was praying for like 28 days. No answer from God to his prayer request. But while he was speaking and praying, confessing his sin, confessing the sins of Israel, as he was doing that, his answer came. His angel arrived. And that's important. So why is it? What are your orders? One, speak and pray. Anytime you are talking to God, you should be praying. And praying means listening. Don't just talk to God. Listen to what God has to say. 
God will guide you through situations. He will guide you through decisions. He will help you when you're on the road, when you are far from home and situations are looking weird. You should be speaking and listening to what God is telling you. Second thing, confess those sins that hinder. Lord, I have doubts. Lord, I have fears. Lord, I don't want to be disliked. Lord, I don't want to be sent to Africa as a servant or as a missionary. Don't, don't ever pray that. That's where, that's where he'll send you, I guarantee. Confess the sins that hinder. That keep, Lord, forgive me my pride. Forgive me my arrogance. Forgive me my self-sufficiency. Forgive me for all of these things that keep me from serving you. And finally, continue to pray for others. If you think of me during the week, would you pray for me? As, as you think about our church, pray for our VBS. Pray for the teachers. Pray for those who are providing snacks. Pray for all of the people who rally together to make this church function. This church is not me. It's not even me and my wife and my daughter. It's all the people who put in their time, effort, blood, sweat, tears to keep the message of Christ going out. We are in a state of war, people. We've been at war since 33 AD. We have been at war for a long time. And the war doesn't end until Jesus calls us home. Amen? Stay out there. Stay ready. Know your enemy, but know your weapons. Know what you have on your side and know what you're supposed to do. Let's pray. 